I was watching that, I almost forgot. I'm supposed to come up after that said. <laughs> How you doing? It's good to have you here. Hope you're enjoying uh, our beautiful almost fall weather. Uh, love it. Let's just box it up and keep it. Um, yeah. Amen. I'm trying to get myself self psyched up, though, because I know. I know. <laughs> All right. Okay, hey, we're going to be in jumping into Genesis chapter 35. So if you have your Bibles, which I love for you to bring, um, you can make sure that I'm really, you know, talking about what's in there. Um, Genesis 35, as you move there, I want to um, kind of close the loop on something I talked about during the summer a few times, and that was our uh, fiscal year goes from September 1 to the end of August, and so we wrapped up, our, we just wrapped up our fiscal year. I let you know at the beginning of the summer that we are running behind our projected giving. Um, in fact, I apologized for not letting you know that earlier, and uh, we, at one point in the summer, we were $250,000 behind projected giving. And so we are sitting really well with cash. And so we knew we'd, we could just eat into some cash. Um, but we finished strong. And so we finished 150000 behind. And so we made up 100000 during the summer. So thank you for that. And thank you for your, your giving. Yeah, that's, hey, it's okay. Hey, let's applaud giving. Yeah. You know. Uh, thank you for your commitment and your, and your giving. And, and as I said, I ask you to join us now in praying about this coming year. Because um, we just, um, you know, if we just stay the same in our giving over a couple of years, inflation starts really having an impact on us. And some of the things, I mean, the things that this church does in our community and here and all over the world is 100% funded by our faith family. And so we're not part of a big organization or anything, man. And so it's your faithful giving that is having an impact. So thank you for that. Um, and, we, and be in prayer about praying this year that people who are coming and have called Rolling Hills their first, you know, their faith family, you know, recently will, will move from kind of spectators um, to, uh, to owners and, uh, and join us um, in that commitment. So uh, be praying about that. And that is it regarding that. So now Genesis 35, which, you know, starts out really nice and everything, and um, which is almost a shock to the system, because for us to understand Genesis 35, we really got to understand Genesis 34 in the context, and, and context is important. When you read any book, you want to know the context in order to understand what's being communicated, and that's true of the Bible as well. And so, brief overview, um, the Bible first 11 chapters are about... Um, teaches about God, his creative abilities, this world, um, humanity, what we were created to be by God, what God's um, purpose for our life was, and how it all got messed up. So that's in 11 chapters of Genesis. And then he goes from looking at the whole world and all of humanity, and he focuses it down in chapter 12 on one family, in and Abraham. And he says, Abraham, now we, from now forward, as far as the Old Testament, we're focusing on Abraham's descendants. Because God says, I promise, through your descendants, I'm going to bring hope to all the world. And so through your line, Abraham, is going to come hope to all the world. And ultimately, that was fulfilled. Um, that part of the promise was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, who through the line of Abraham came the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who offers 
salvation, restoration, forgiveness for all of us to come back to God. So now we're looking at Abraham's grandson, okay? His name is Jacob. Um, Jacob is somebody he knows that the promise to Abraham by God is going through him. So it's following, it's gonna follow his descendants. He knows that's the promise. He doesn't believe God's gonna do it. He thinks, uh, God, I think I need to take control of some things to make sure my family line is blessed. And so he deceives his family, he lies, he manipulates. Um, his name means ankle catcher, which, you know, heel catcher, which means somebody who trips other people up. Um, he, he is a control freak. He is just a control freak and he's justifying it by saying, I think God has promised this through my descendants and so I'm gonna make sure nobody else stands in the way. And <coughs> I'm having trouble swallowing. <coughs> yeah, somebody back there have uh, any water? Yeah, okay. <coughs> you know, I used to be an incredible athlete. Now I can't swallow. <coughs> that oh, man, oh man, oh Jasmine. Why can't this happen at home? Just, oh. Here you go, take a look. Yes. All right, man. Yeah, okay. So, Jacob, messed up family. He's messed up. Control freak. Any of you relate to that? Yeah, just thinking, okay, God's good. I can trust in God, I can follow God. But I think he's in desperate need of my help. That's Jacob. And he, he goes about it of the wrong way. And he deceives and he lies. And he ends up hurting um, I mean, his twin brother, his dad. Um, he gets his mom in on it. <clears throat> it's a big mess. <clears throat> Eventually, this will go away. Um, so... Uh, he messes things up so much where his, his own twin brother wants to kill him. So he's gotta run for his life. He's gotta run from his family. <clears throat> so for 20 years, he leaves his dysfunctional extended family and he goes off and he creates a family of his own, <clears throat> which is dysfunctional. He ends up being deceived by his father-in-law. He ends up marrying four women has kids through all of them, um, and it's, it's a mess. But at the end of that time, at 20 years, he decides, you know what, it's time for me to bring my dysfunctional family back to meet my extended dysfunctional family, and this is gonna go well. Um, and so he's scared to death, because he goes back and he meets his brother Esau, and he thinks Esau's gonna kill him, you know? So he, he schemes and plans, and he strategizes the best he he knows in his own power, and yet God does something supernatural and softens Esau's heart towards Jacob and forgives him. <clears throat> Beautiful moment there, but it was just a moment. Because then in Genesis 35, it's some, of the, it's some really tough stuff that, that uh, Jack two weeks ago walked us through really well. But um, one of Jacob's daughters is... Um, is seen by the leader of the town 
and, uh, of Shechem, and his name is Shechem. <clears throat> and he desires her, and he takes her, and he rapes her. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. And Jacob knows it, and he doesn't do anything about it. He just sits on it. His sons are out doing their job. When they come back into town, they hear about it, and they decide we're taking matters into our own hands. So they, um, they go into in Shechem, and in the town of Shechem, they kill Shechem. They kill his family, and then having previously wounded, and um, you can read about it, um, how that happened, a thing called circumcision. They were also people who were incredible salespeople who knew how to close. And uh, they convinced all these guys that, that, yeah, in order for you guys to, uh, you know, to join our families together, the whole town needs to be circumcised, all the men. <clears throat> so they're all wounded so that Jacob's sons go in and kill them all. Whole town. Vengeance, revenge. By the way, you hear the Bible is uh, just really crude and brutal because it says, you know, an eye for an eye. And people, oh, that's just, that's just ruthless. That's just so brutal. Well, what that is is God telling us, you know, when it comes to justice, I'm a person who, I'm a God of justice, and I want justice in this world, but it needs to be commensurate to the crime. The punishment needs to fit the crime. And when it is motivated by people who are hurt and out for revenge, it typically does not fit the crime. And so God said, you know, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What's that saying? Punishment fits the crime. That's, that's the principle behind that. It's actually God's blessing to us. Um, instead of allowing us just to be uh, fueled by hate and revenge and doing what Jacob's kids do here. And they, they wipe out this town. They, they uh, wipe out the men. They take the women and enslave them. They take all of their goods and that's the end of 34. All right, so now today we're in 35. And uh, I'm thinking, if I'm God, I've got, I've got some things I want to talk to Jacob and his boys about. And it's like, hey, Jacob, get your boys, line them up, because I'm going to squash you all like a bug. Because what, what you've done is so evil, and it's time um, for justice to reign. Okay? That's Bill. Let's see what God does. Verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And I'm going, what? Now here, right out of the gate, God shows up in chapter 35. Ten times um, God is referred to by name. Eleven more times he's referred to in the sense of Bethel. The name Bethel means house of God. So 21 times in this chapter, God's referred to. You know how many times he was referred to in the previous chapter? Jack told us, zero. He was nowhere to be found when, when all this evil was happening. And now God shows up and says, um, hey, Jacob, you ready to come back to me? I want you back. And I'm thinking, God, I think it's time to pick another family. 
I mean, these guys have been disappointments. They've been evil. It, it is, let, let's pick a family that has maybe a couple people that are good in it. Uh, let, let's, let's start over. Because these people are idiots. They're fools. And God's saying, I can use fools. God's saying, I patiently will wait for fools to come back to me because I want them. And then I think, praise God. Because he wants people like me. I mean, how many times have you laid in bed and thinking about things in your life and going, I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I can't believe the disappointment I have in myself. What must God think of me? And here's the beauty. God's thinking, I know what you did. Are you ready to come back to me? Because I want you. You see, chapter 35 is unbelievably powerful when we remember what happened in chapter 34. And so here's the first thing that I come is, is God's goodness is mind-boggling and it's disproportionate. God is a good God and we've talked about this throughout Genesis, but sometimes what makes God so hard to believe in um, is because he's so good and gracious. It's hard for me to embrace. Right here, the goodness of God to Jacob is mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling. Jacob, are you willing to come back and worship me? Because I want you back. See, there's, um, as I think of people in this room today, I'm thinking there's no doubt there are some people in this room that when you came in today, you're going, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. Singing songs and you're looking at the words and going, maybe you had a chapter 34 week. You know, maybe last night when uh, you're thinking, oh, God's saying, hey, are are you ready to come back to me because I want you? You're thinking, did you not see last night? Did you not see this week? I mean, I had... No self-control. And God said, yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw. And are you willing to come back? Because I want you. I mean, the goodness of God is powerful. He wants us. He wants you. He loves you. And he waits and he continually pursues. and says, come back to me. You know, several times in the Old Testament, when, um, you know, a revival happens, a spiritual revival, it's a work of God. It's not something you, you strategize for or you plan. You know, I've seen, you know, churches that say revival this Friday. And it's like, wow, if I only knew how to do that. Um, uh, it's something that God does in people's hearts and where we, people surrender to him. And a lot of times it happens after a season of darkness. You know, and here 34 is about as dark as you can get. And 35, all of a sudden, God's saying, I want your heart. Come back to me. And uh, I, I think of a, there's a high priest in the Old Testament later on <clears throat> whose name is Eli. He's um, a high priest at the time where a tabernacle was made as a place of worship with God that represented the, the, 
the very presence of God. And his sons um, were idiots. And his sons in the tabernacle chose to worship other gods. And Eli was passive like Jacob was passive. Eli was good in a lot of, in a lot of ways, had a good heart, did a lot of good things, but he was passive in the sense of not calling out what his sons were doing. And it became a very, very dark time in, in, in Israel. And God raised up a man named Samuel during this time. He's a prophet. And Samuel called out the people, just saying, this is wrong. Man, we, we need to clean house. This is wrong. Are you willing to repent? And are you willing to come back to God and worship him? And a revival happened in the nation. And just like a revival happened in the nation, God's saying, man, a revival, I want to do a revival in your heart. Come back to me. Come back to me. I want you. Don't second guess it. Come back to me. So how does he do it? How, how does he do that? Well, then verses two and three help us get a picture of that. So Jacob said to his household and to all those who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Verse three, and then let us arise and go to Bethel. And Bethel means God's house. It's the name of a city. So that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Wow, what a statement of Jacob. Jacob has lived like God's dead, like there is no God. I'm in control. I will do everything I can to control my, the circumstances in, uh, around me. Um, I am God. I am in control. That's how he's lived. And yet, here he's admitting, and all along I knew I wasn't God and I knew God was with me if I ever humbled myself and just turned to him. And so now I am, and now I'm ready to worship God. And he says to his family, hey, hey God, the truth is God has been good to us and we have not been good to him. It's time for us to get things right and to come back to him and, and to give our lives to him and to worship him only. And so it's not too late to worship God and start positively influencing others. You see, God, every day is a second, second start. Every day is a second chance. Every day is an opportunity for us to say, God, I don't have yesterday to give to you. I don't have tomorrow to give to you. What do I have? I have now. And so, God, I, I offer you now. I offer you my day. I, I want to live for you. I want to listen to you. And I want to trust you enough to follow you in opportunities that you're bringing my way in opportunities. I need to stay away from because it's going to take me away from you, but I need to follow you. And that's what Jacob does. He says, okay, um, it's time for me to stop neglecting things and I'm going to step up and I'm going to tell my family, Let, let's honor God. And what does he do? I mean, did God tell Jacob, hey, call out the foreign gods in your kid's house? No, he doesn't, he doesn't tell Jacob to do that. Jacob knew it himself. He knew what he's been neglecting. He knew what he was allowing in his life and in the life of his kids that he shouldn't have. Things that were taking him away from being fully devoted and committed to God. And he allowed those things in. And he tells his kids, hey, I know it's in your house. 
It's, it's time to get rid of the stuff that stands in the way of our full devotion to God. And so let's get rid of it. Let's call it out. And, and that's what Jacob does in this beautiful moment. And so for you and I, as we look at this, the question is, what do we know that we have allowed into our lives that we've neglected to deal with that has taken us away from fully being devoted to God? And God's saying, hey, uh, this is a day for you to recognize that, repent of that, and leave it behind. Jacob knew what it was. Jacob knew what he needed to call out. And probably in our own heart and mind, in deep in our souls, we go, yeah, I know. I know what I haven't squared up to. Uh, I know what God wanted me to do and take steps of faith, and I haven't done it. And that's called idol worship. That's called idol worship. In the Bible, there's a lot of times in the Old Testament where God's people said, yeah, God, we're going to, and, and this is where I think it shows up in people who are followers of Jesus. It says, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm also following this idea, this lie, um, this hope that I think is going to be fulfilling in a way that I'll make sacrifices for it. So I, I follow God and I follow something else too. And the Bible calls that syncretism, syncretism, S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. It's when we worship, our heart worships God and something else. And God calls that idolatry. He said, if it comes down where you believe that I'm God, the one true God, then you worship me wholly. And you worship no others, because there's just one God. So give me your devotion. Give me your worship. Honor me with your whole life. And get rid of those things that are holding you back. It could be lies that we're believing in our head. You know, lies about ourselves. Lies about our value and worth. Lies about where we get those things. And we maybe have thoughts about it, but it's like, nah, nah, I, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it. And God's saying, no, call it out. And let's deal with it and get rid of it. It, it could be greed. It, it could be you know, any no, number of things, anything that stands in the way of me fully being devoted to God with all he's created me to be, then that can be an idol. And God says, let's take a stand. Let's take a stand. And Jacob took a stand with his family, which he hadn't been taking a stand. And so parents, I want you to know, um, you know, we live in a culture where there's different perspectives on parenting. And um, some of those are, you know, the best parents are really our friends. And I want you to know, uh, that's dumb. Okay. You, you're, you're a parent. You have a God, a divinely appointed opportunity to guide your children. And that means correction. That means speaking into them and loving them. And you can be a friend in the midst of it, but you, are, you are, have a responsibility that's greater than a friend. You are who God has placed to give them guidance and direction. 
Now, a lot of times we think, yeah, you know, I'm so busy. I just don't have really time. There's so many th- other things that influence. You, have, you know what the school's doing, influencing my children. And um, let me tell you, uh, today, if your kid is in school, 16% of their time is at school. 16%. You ask a lot. So, well, that's, you know, in... in I'm, I want them to know God, so I bring them to church. And so if you're a parent who brings your kids to church, that's awesome. Do you know how much of their time they spend at church? If you're a parent that makes them go to church, makes them go, where they get to go to church? Um, 1% of their time. You know, a lot of times as parents, we're thinking, well, you know, my kids got a lot of friends, they got a lot of influence, um, but, you know, I, I have them go to church in hopes that that's going to fix them. One percent. That means 83% of their life is around home. Who has the biggest impact on our kids? We do. I mean, we set the standard. We set the environment of our homes. We, we set the atmosphere of our homes. That, that's our responsibility. That's what we get to do. And man, what, what an opportunity it is. And Jacob's standing up, man. He's stepping up and saying, I'm finally doing it. And he's doing the right thing. Um, okay, so I'm talking to parents, but it also means grandparents, nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts. Um, you, you have, you know, small kids in the family somewhere, then uh, you have responsibility to model for. So I want, I want you first to know this. Parents, listen to this. Maybe this is the only thing you need to hear today. I, I've met thousands of parents. I've met thousands of Christian parents. All of them have this one thing in common. None of them are perfect. They're all flawed. Me. We, we, we do dumb things. So don't act like you're perfect. But what does a follower of God look like who's not perfect? Well, that's all of us. It's supposed to be real with our kids. This is the journey I'm on. You know, I, I, I treated you poorly the other day. I was just totally impatient. I said some things I shouldn't have said, and I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And then show them a life that's growing. Not perfect, but growing in your relationship with God. Now, now, there's a verse that, um, that I love, Proverbs 22.6. It is a very popular verse. Sometimes we make it, you know, heap shame and guilt on us, but we don't want to do that, okay? Um, your kids have their own minds, and they, will, and they will do things, and that is not necessarily a reflection on you, all right? We have a reflection to model. We have a reflection to be an example for them and then provide guidance and counsel, and counsel to them and correction to them. But um, here's a verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is called a general truth. That is not saying, um, hey, if your kids left the faith, then obviously you didn't train up a child in the way they should go. So, you know, loser parent, you got what you deserve. Not saying that. 
Okay, and so if that's what you read when you read this, I mean, that's Satan putting um, wrong, wrong, a wrong idea in your, he- in your head. Our kids make decisions. They have minds of their own. And it is not necessarily a reflection on you. But a general truth is we can have a big influence on their lives. Okay, and it says train them up. That is different than don't do this and do this. Okay, because a lot of times we think, okay, as a Christian parent, my job is to be the Bible in their life. And so it's just to constantly tell them, okay, that what you did there, that was good. God likes that. That right there, now, you know, people who do that go to hell. You know, you, you don't, that's not your job to, to, to do that. <clears throat> Train up, it's a picture in Hebrew of having an infant child and you take your little finger and you dip it in date honey. And then you put it on their lips and then they taste the sweetness and what that does in, a, in an infant, it, it, it triggers the sucking mechanism to where they want to eat. And so that little infant will now, he's looking to eat because he's desiring to eat. So it will nourish him, so it'll grow and, become a, and, and grow up into a mature individual. Okay, now take that into parenting. What's that saying? Is saying, raise your kids in a way that your relationship with God is so attractive to them that they'll desire it, they'll want it, that they'll have a hunger for it. And so what's your relationship with God like? Is your relationship with God religion? Is it do's and don'ts that, that just place a burden on you? And your kids are seeing that burden? Or is your relationship with God one in which it is life-giving to you? Where you're learning new things about him. You are so humbled by his grace and his love. And you're also recognizing I get to walk with him every day. And I'm learning to walk in the presence of God who's with me. And he knows me and he loves me and he never leaves me alone. And that is, that is life-giving. That's life-refreshing. In the midst of the deepest, darkest hours, that gives life. In the midst of celebrations, you, you are so thankful. That is a life that I want to follow. So we're not perfect, but we're growing. And one of the ways we grow is we get rid of the stuff in our lives that's holding us back. And your kids will see it. Your kids will see it. Will they end up being fully committed followers of Jesus? Uh, maybe not. And if your kids are there right now, um, God's not done. And you can still influence by, hey, let's get rid of the stuff that's holding us back and let's enjoy God and know him more. That's what it means to train them up. Now, every week... Um, you know, for, you know, since COVID hit and we all came back, uh, you know, we came back small. But every week, I mean, just about every week in our children's ministry, there's more kids than there were the week before. And so those kids are here because of parents. And so parents, right on. Awesome. Keep it up. 
Keep it up. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have boys grow up into young men who think, you know what? Being the man that God wants me to be, part of that is being part of a faith family. And I learned that from my dad because it was a priority in his life. And women, how about having girls that grow up and, you know, um, with all the messages the world is throwing at me about what I should be and who I am and how I should look. And my mom grew in becoming somebody who was confident and secure and knew who she was because God makes wonderful and beautiful things. And she was confident that she was a creation of God and known and loved by him. And man, I'm so thankful for that. What an opportunity that we have. Take it seriously. God's going, I want you with me. Well, what about, yeah, I know, I saw it. I want you with me. Jacob stood up. And we do too. This is a great time to build rhythms, isn't it? I mean, if you have young kids and you're beginning school, it's, it's great time to build new rhythms in your life and your family's life. And so how are you going to continue to grow in your relationship with God? Well, you know, in the Bible, it's full of these one another ideas. You know, love one another, forgive one another, exhort one another, encourage one another to love and good deeds. You know what you can't how you can't do that, you can't do that by going through your spiritual journey in isolation. It is impossible to be a follower of God in isolation. And yet we think that's what we are. It's all about me and God. God's saying, if you listen and you read what I say, I'm telling you, you are not going to honor me with your life. And you're, you're allowing things into your life, isolation and individualism that you will not be the person I created you to be because I want to grow you up and other people are going to help you and I want you to help them. And so let's build some rhythms. If, if, if you're not in community with other followers of Jesus that are helping you on your journey and know you, then, hey, let's get in the community group. Let, let's let's uh, get into Bible study. But let's put ourselves in a place where we can grow and what God's asking us to do. So let's build some new rhythms. Build some new rhythms. This is a great time um, to do it, beginning of the, beginning of the school year. Um, one more thought. I have six seconds. Okay. Um, we're going to skip that thought. All right. Verse four. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you the thought. Uh, <laughs> Paris, let your kids know that you're going to be different. Um, Jacob is saying, hey, family, we're going to look different than Shechem. Uh, we're we're going to get rid of the stuff that they're worshiping. And we're going to worship the one true God. And so that means in your family, and you let your kids know this, there's going to be times where we're, we're going to be doing stuff that's different than, a, than most other people around us. And uh, it doesn't mean we're weird. And I don't want you to be weird. I want you to be somebody who's known to, that's a great friend, who's loving, who forgives, who's loyal, who has character and integrity that your friends can count on. They'll know that you're always there. 
but we're going to make some decisions that are different. And it's because we're choosing to follow God. And that choice is the best thing we could ever do. But it's going to make us look different sometimes. But that's the choice we're making, and it's the right choice, and we're, great, and we're good about it. But it'll feel awkward sometimes. You'll be mad about it sometimes. But we're, going, we're different. And so let your kids know it. Let your kids know this is, this is why we're doing the things we're doing. It's not because we're trying to get God to like us more. It's actually because God already loves us in spite of our foolishness. And man, I want, we want to love him more because that's where we're going to find fulfillment in who he created us to be. Okay, four, real quick. So they, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the ter- terebinth tree that was near Shechem. The kids responded to him. He's like, what you're doing is, a, is an act that's right. If we're saying we're going to follow God, then this is right. And they responded to him. And as they journeyed, the terror of God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. This is the, this is the goodness of God on them. They didn't deserve it. They, they wiped out a city. Other cities heard about it. They were like, well, they may wipe us out too. Let's go kill this family. And God protected Jacob's family. And Jacob came to Lutz, which is Bethel, which is the land of Canaan. And he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. Be, you know, Bethel means house of God. El is God. And so it's the God of God's house. And so what's he doing? He's saying, I'm going to worship God, not the place, not the stuff of God, but I'm worshiping God. And so he's thinking clear. Um, 16 to 19, let me just tell you what happens in verses 16 to 19. The love of, of Jacob's life is his wife, Rachel. Rachel has had a terrible time having kids. She had one named Joseph. Now she's pregnant with her second. She goes into labor. She has a terrible labor. Um, and she gives birth to her second son named Benjamin. But she dies in labor. Okay, now, let's get this right. Jacob submits himself to God, comes back to God with the whole heart, and says, we're getting rid of the stuff that's holding us back from you. And so he does that, and the love of his life dies. When does following God become easy? Heaven. That's when it becomes easy. We're broken people. We live in a broken world. We have a selfish bent. And so does everybody else. And a lot of bad things happen. The sign of a follower of Jesus is the cross. Not a recliner. Not a cruise ship. But there's no other place that we'll be more fulfilled and be more the people that God wants us to be than in a relationship with our creator. He says, there will be a day when tears are wiped out, when cancer's wiped out, when there will be no drunk drivers, when there will be um, no injustice, 
there will be a day that that's coming. But in the meantime, walk with me. I want you to walk with me. So what are the things in our life that we know are there that shouldn't be there and we just haven't dealt with them? Have you lost conviction? Have you just kind of given in? God says today, hey, let's recommit ourselves. Let's uh, face those things. Let's step into those things, not ignore them. But let's get rid of the things that hold us back in our enjoying a relationship with our God. In a few minutes here, we're going to have communion. And it's here in front. It's also in the back. And I, I encourage you, when you get the bread in the cup, you go back to your seat to take communion. Um, spend a few minutes and just say, okay, God, what, what's the things that maybe I know I haven't been wanting to face or maybe I just need to get a clear perspective on from you that I need to get rid of. Get rid of. I need to purge from my life because they're holding me back in my following you. So let me pray for you and we'll move on to communion. Father, I pray for each person here. And um, Father, as we look at your word and we know that your Holy Spirit takes it and applies it to our lives and what's going on. And so may we hear your voice in our lives today, in our hearts, and respond to it as you talking to us and guiding us and being our parent. And so, Father, we, we want to follow you. Would you allow us to hear your voice clearly? And then as we follow you, will you bless the steps of faith that we take? And it is in your son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. When you're ready, you can come up and get the bread and cup or go in the back, wherever's closest to you.